0: Hey, good morning again, New City. My name is Ben. If you're just hopping on now online, we're so glad to have you this morning. We're super excited to open God's Word now. If you have your Bible with you, let me invite you to open up to the book of James, and we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. Today, we are in week two of a special series that we're calling Home Isn't Canceled. Uh, In a time when it feels like, man, so many things are canceled, we want to remember that the home that God has blessed us with and the family that God has given us, that it isn't canceled. And, And kind of the tagline that we began looking at last week through the book of Ephesians was pursuing gospel nearness even though we're in this socially distant world. So this morning, we're in the book of James, and man, James has some powerful, heavy-hitting words that are going to speak to us this morning about this reality of the power of our words and that the things that we say have incredible power both to build up uh, and really to destroy. Um, This is a lesson that I really had to learn the hard way back in my senior year of high school, had really what is a pretty awful um, experience. Um... If you know me, you'll be shocked to know that at one point in my life, I was a pretty sarcastic dude. Um, And that sarcasm really got me uh, into a lot of trouble. Now, I always thought of it as one of my more endearing qualities, but um, I learned that I was really the only one that thought that way. Um, my senior year, I had a teacher named Mrs. Smith, and uh, she honestly was one of my favorite teachers, and because she was one of my favorite teachers, I would tease her, I would joke with her, and, and just unload my, my jovial personality on her, and I did this for most of the school year because, like I said, I thought this was very normal, and I thought it was uh, really sweet on my part. Um, one day, she called me into her office, and uh, she said, you know, your words, they really hurt um, your words are really, really rude. And, uh, honestly, it's one of the worst parts of my day when I interact with the way that you communicate with me. Um, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just, just shocked, knocked me off my feet to think that somebody who cared for me, um, who loved me, who treated me honestly as family, that I was the worst part of of her day in, in my sarcasm and in my choice of words. Um, But then it got worse. She said, you know, I want you to understand this is not even just about me. Um, When the teachers are together and we discuss the challenges that we're having, one of the main things that we keep coming back to is you and the way that you talk and the way that you communicate with really most of the teachers in the high school. Um, I mean, I was speechless. I I could not believe the, the damage that I was doing with my words. And I really had to stop and think about that for, for a while and get past being angry or, or or wanting to protect my image. Um, I've been a believer for about a year or two at that point in my life. And the Holy Spirit just really began to work and really began to convict me, um, that, that my words were wounding other people. And that, that's not how I wanted to be. And that's not who I wanted to be remembered as, as someone who was damaging people. Um, I didn't want to be the guy, you know, that people had to duck and, and hide from because of the things that he might potentially say. Um, and so I really, by God's work in my heart and life, I just began to want to change. Um, and I wanted to be used by God. I wanted him to change my heart. And I really began to repent, to turn away from that sin and, and to move into living the way that Christ would have me live. Um, so the rubber met the road. A few days later, I, I just personally went to each teacher in each classroom, and I just said, you know what? I want to apologize. I'm sorry for the things that I've said and for the things that I've done, and I want to ask for your forgiveness, um, and I want to let you know that I'm going to do my best. I'm not perfect, and I'm sure I'll continue to struggle, but I want to make a change, and I want to be encouraging to you and bless you with my words rather than than curse you, as the book of James kind of describes here. Um, you know, our, our words tend to hurt the people that we love the most, th- those are the people that we tend to hurt the most. And whether that's family, that's your household, whoever that may be. Um, James, the book of James really just summarizes this way when he says, My brothers, it ought not to be so. My brothers, it shouldn't be that way that our words tear people down, tear people down that we love. Um, what if God has a better way? And what I want to remind us from in the scriptures here this morning is that the gospel The good news has a better way. And so as we go to James this morning, let's give that eye to God's word, that he has a better way for us because of the good news of Jesus in the gospel. So let's begin to read here. James chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. The scripture says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's take a moment here this morning and let's just open with a word of prayer and ask for God's guidance and blessing in his word this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we look to you. Lord, our eyes are tuned to you and to your word this morning. Would you encourage us, even convict us, Father, as we're reminded of the goodness of your love, that you might help us by the grace of Jesus Christ to live more like him, Lord, not that we can do it on our own, but through your strength. Help us, Lord, to love those in our home, those that that we come uh, into influence with on a daily basis. Help us to love them like Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, five applications from God's word this morning as we dig in here to James chapter 3. Number one is this, teachers, be careful what you say. Teachers, be careful what you say. Again, James chapter 3, the first two verses says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So, Scripture gives us this very stern warning right at the beginning that not many of you should choose to be teachers. And this makes sense right off the bat, because when you teach, you're automatically at a high risk because of the high volume of words that you are expected to communicate. You know, this week upcoming is actually National Teacher Appreciation Week, and we so appreciate all those who teach, um, especially in our New City family. We have 12 teachers in our New City Church family, both in public schools, uh, Christian schools, and some of our homeschool parents, and we appreciate every single one of you. Um, We recognize that the words that you use are so important, and they're so important because oftentimes they're so difficult. Um, And so we appreciate what you guys do. Um, you know, no teacher takes their job, right, because they're trying to get rich. They teach their job because they want to speak truth, and they want to speak life into the lives of their kids. But it's a tough environment. You know, if you say something wrong, uh, you can be sure that those loving students will probably let you know that you have made a mistake. That's sarcasm, by the way. Um, But Uh, You know, as a teacher, your words really are so important. They have the power to speak life or they have the power to speak destruction. Um, One of my worst memories um, is as a fourth grade student. I remember uh, being in class, and again, shocker, I had a huge problem growing up as a kid in class just talking too much, constantly open mouth, constantly talking. and one day, my teacher walked right up to my desk, got into my face with his stank, nasty breath, looked me in the eye in front of the whole class, and said, Shut up. You know, I don't really remember a single thing that that teacher said the rest of the year. Um, when he spoke to me that way, um, I lost respect and I lost the ability to listen teachers what we say is so profoundly important or what we even don't say. Um, P.S. shut up is a terrible phrase uh, and one that should not be used regardless of who you're talking to or what the situation might be. You know, not only, though, does the scripture address teachers in the, in the classic sense, but it's talking about teachers in the church, whether that be a pastor or somebody who is leading some aspect of teaching the Word of God. Um, so it just reminds me, guys, let me ask you, pray for me um, as I seek to pastor and lead and teach our church. Pray for all of the men and women who different places and city groups and with our kids and our youth as we're teaching the Word of God. Pray for us that we might do it with humility. Uh, and with grace. The scripture has other warnings in James chapter one, in fact, verse 26 and 27, really for teachers in the church. It says this, if you consider yourself religious and don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is worthless. Those are serious words. Uh, And the idea behind that really is don't preach or teach something on a Sunday morning and then go home on a Sunday afternoon and rip apart your family with your words. You know, there's a reason, guys, that so many pastor's kids in particular grow up to be former Christians because what they saw taught on a Sunday morning didn't match what they experienced on a Sunday night. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is speaking and he says the Pharisees love the place of honor and love to be called rabbi uh, or teacher. But you need to remember that your true teacher is me, that your true teacher is Jesus. Guys, we've got to watch out for those who who love to use the name of Jesus or love to use the name of the church, but truly are only using that platform to lift up and praise their own name rather than the name of Jesus. Uh, I think we have more than ever before a huge problem just in American Christianity of pastors and of leaders um, who have never really dealt with the insecurity in their own hearts and lack any just real genuine connection with Jesus and can so easily slip into being addicted to our own reputation, uh, our own eager, instead of being filled with Christ. There are many teachers within the church who will lie rather than speak the truth because it's just easier to tickle ears than speak the, the truth of the gospel. You know, but there's an encouragement here. James goes on to say this. He says, we all stumble. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Um, the book of James is not just saying teachers. He's not saying that teachers are more sinful or that pastors or leaders are more sinful. He's saying no one can control his or her tongue perfectly because no one except Jesus has ever been perfect. We're all sinful. Um, we're all unable to fix our speech problem uh, on our own. But who knows better, right, how we really talk than our family, than those in our home, those that we love. Whether it's a broken promise that keeps coming up at home, or it's the gossip behind the backs of people who aren't there to be able to defend themselves, or it's the unfair fighting that always brings up the past. Maybe it's the complaining or the whining of the kids in a home, or it's the angry and unforgiving words of adults. James is going to take us here. Number two, the scripture says, A small tongue has great power. Look with me at verses three through uh, the beginning of verse five. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The scripture here is is saying control your tongue or your your tongue will control you. Uh, It says small bits, small little bits in the horse's mouth controls a very large animal or a tiny little rudder in the water controls the movement of a huge ship. You know, I think of the, the small but ferocious idea, um, you know, the tiny little bunny in Monty Python's A Holy Grail. Uh, if that reference doesn't do anything for you, think about just the average human being today who is walking around with their tiny little three and a half inch screen. And that screen is guiding and directing everything about that person, who they are and what they do, and even where they go. You know, but there's also There's also really an encouragement here in this passage. The idea here is that if you can begin to control your tongue, that you can begin to control yourself, your your whole self. So if you win the battle for your tongue, watch how it will begin to positively change your life and who you are. Proverbs 18.13 teaches us to control our tongues um, and listen before we speak. Uh, One of my favorite quotes that's uh, attributed to an unknown author, but it says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt, right? But if we leave it here, if we just leave it right there, guys, we have missed the point of what James is really driving us to. Because James, as well as the whole of Scripture, is going to teach us that it's ultimately about your heart more than it is about even your tongue. Jesus brings this out um, when he says this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, "'Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks.'" The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Jesus says your heart ultimately controls your tongue and the trajectory of your life. So is this a contradiction in Scripture here? No. Take a look again even at James. The two analogies that James is using for us. The first, well, who actually controls the bit that's in the horse's mouth? Well, the scripture suggests that it's the rider on the horse. And who actually controls the rudder of the ship? Well, the scripture explicitly says it is the pilot himself. What we need, guys, ultimately is a heart change. A heart change that makes Jesus Christ Lord in our heart, in the inner being, and in our entire lives. Because no amount of self-control... No amount of tongue control, no amount of behavior modification on itself is ever going to be enough unless Jesus rules in your life because Jesus has forgiven you of your sin. James has one more illustration, though, here that that we need to take a look at before he comes back. So let's look at number three here. Number three, the scripture continues, Your tongue is a fire, says James. Look at verses 5, the second half of verse 5 and verse 6 now. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The scriptures here say that the tongue is a fire that can burn down forests. If you lived in our area for a while, you remember the summer of 2006 when here in Brevard County, we had over 6,500 acres that burned down. You remember school was out for almost a week just because of the smoke that was filling up the whole county. Most of us are probably not old enough to remember the Great Chicago Fire, but there were three days in October of 1871 that a very small spark, tradition says, that Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern and that that little spark spread. And we know from history that it put 100,000 people out of their homes. Three square miles of Chicago burned down and almost 300 people were killed in the blaze that resulted from a tiny little lantern being kicked over. The Bible says here that the tongue is set on fire by hell. What does that mean? You know, I think at very least it means that Satan loves it when we use our tongue to tear down other people. Satan loves it when we allow our tongue to be set on fire by hell and burn those around us. You know, the reality here is serious. One piece of gossip or slander can destroy a church. One self-righteous word can push someone away from the gospel. Um, One teacher twisting the word of God can pollute the faith of those who are listening. One simple lie can destroy a person or a family. One abusive word from a parent can ruin the trajectory of a child's life. One word of betrayal can destroy a marriage. The scripture says here, it sets on fire the entire course of life. So as we think about what that means for us personally, what it means for our families, what it means for anybody that we come in contact with, I want to speak to our kids uh, this morning first. Kids, it's serious when we call uh, our brother or our sister or our friend a name, a hurtful word. It's serious business. Listen again to what Jesus says. This is Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, Will be liable to the hell of fire. Guys, the scripture is serious, but on the flip side, think about how encouraging is it when someone says in a family setting, I'm so glad that you're a part of my family, or I'm thankful for you, or thanks for doing that for me today. It's a complete opposite. Kids, think about complaining. You know, complaining really is serious as well. When we sit down at the dinner table, we go, Ew, that's gross. I don't want that. What kind of message are you communicating? But think about the, uh, the opposite. Maybe even today at lunch or at dinner to say, you know what? I'd like to pray. And to take that moment to pray over your family and say, God, thank you for this food. But also, Lord, thank you for my family. Thank you for each person in my family. And thank you that you sent your son Jesus to forgive us and to save us. What a difference that makes. Think about harsh words. The scripture says in Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Parents, verbal abuse or, or threats are always wrong. There's a reason that Ephesians chapter six begins by saying, fathers do not exasperate your children. Hurtful words from a father can destroy a, a son or a daughter at, at any time age not just when they're little at any age i am genuinely never more disgusted than when i hear about a dad whose words to his child communicates whether these are the exact words or not communicates i don't love you you're not important to me you're not worth my time or you're not mine i'm not proud of you when the words that we speak communicate in any way shape or form i reject you we are devastating people and what we see from God the Father is the exact opposite. We are called to speak like God the Father speaks even to his son, Jesus. You know, If you remember at the transfiguration of Jesus, God the Father speaks in powerful words. He speaks down from heaven and all those who are there, including Jesus, hear when God the Father says, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. I love him. And he says to the, all those who are listening, listen to him. Fathers, mothers, we have the opportunity to speak the same way that God the Father spoke to Jesus. We can speak as well to our children, to our families, to those that we lead. What about arguing or manipulating? Uh, Proverbs 21.9, one of the most hysterical of scriptures says this, it's better to live on the corner of the roof Than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Guys, it applies to us just as much, but just remember no one is immune to blame shifting or excuse making or manipulating or complaining. But how much better, how much more joyful is it when we're in a home where there's honesty? where we accept responsibility when we make mistakes and then are able to talk about and experience forgiveness and reconciliation. It happens when we live out the gospel and when what Christ has done for us is employed towards other people. Think about talking and typing. Um, what we talk and what we type, Lord, You know what the scripture says here, it's the same deal. What I mean is this. Um, I see so many people who will, will say, you know, I'm just going to go on a rant. Uh, social media rants are not okay. Just because you tell people that you're going to go on a rant doesn't mean that now you can act a fool and say whatever it is that you want to say. Um, I'm appalled when I see what some of us as believers will say on social media to other believers, to, to people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ um, or even worse, to people that we've never met, we don't know anything about, and in a public forum, we are ripping people apart with our words. The problem is, is if we ever get the opportunity, in person or online, to be able to share the gospel, to be able to share weighty and eternal matters, who's going to listen when you've acted and you've spoke and you've typed like that? Um, foolish talk, coarse joking. You know, the scripture is clear. Dirty and perverse talk is still a sin. Um, Cussing and cursing and profanity is dishonoring to God. Taking the name of the Lord in vain. There's a reason that it makes the top 10 along with do not murder in the 10 commandments because the Lord is not pleased when we take his name in vain. Instead, the scripture says we have the power to bless God with our words, to bless others with our words. You know, and then there's that sarcasm thing. One of the things I learned later in life, the word sarcasm, it actually comes from a Greek word. And that Greek word literally means to tear the flesh. And so when we're sarcastic, the idea behind that word is that we're actually tearing someone apart. So I can tell you, I'm constantly learning how to, instead of being passive-aggressively sarcastic, to actively be encouraging and want to bless people. Number four, the scripture says this, and this is really where the rubber hits the road. You can't tame the tongue on your own. Look at verses seven and eight. The scripture says this, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The scripture is telling us you can can't do it alone. Uh, The scripture among many things, guys, is a mirror and it shows us our sin and it shows us that we need help. Um, If an animal doesn't follow a command, then that trainer just pulls on the reins. But the scripture here is saying, who is it that can actually tame the tongue? And the answer that James is giving us is that you cannot do it alone. But the good news of the gospel here and in James and throughout the scriptures is that Jesus can. It doesn't say no one can tame the tongue, but rather that no man, no human can tame the tongue. Remember, James 3, verse 2 says, We all stumble. Now, when I was 17 years old, the very first sermon that I preached, it was for a class. Um, and the title and the two main points in that, in that sermon were this. Um, Rebellion reaps reckoning. Righteousness reaps reward. Now that title comes from the, the scriptures in Galatians chapter six, and it is nice alliteration, right? I use the letter R to begin all of my words. But look at that. It's it's true in and of itself, but it's so incomplete. What's missing? Well, the righteousness of Christ on my behalf is missing. Missing. The gospel is what's missing. Christ doing for me what I cannot do myself is what was missing from that message, from my words as a 17-year-old. The gospel of Jesus says, you can't do it, but Jesus can do it. So when we humbly admit that we are unable he will graciously forgive us through His Son. When we admit that we need His mercy, His free gift of salvation, His salvation, that's when life begins. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, incredibly important, incredibly famous passage. Romans 6, verse 23 says this, "...for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." The best way I've ever heard this scripture explain is that there's two cliffs and on the one cliff is us, is every single human being. And separated by a grand canyon that we cannot cross, God is on the other side of that cliff. And so Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages or the payment that I deserve of my sin, my guilt, my cosmic treason before God The wages of that sin is death, and that is where I am stuck, on one side of this Grand Canyon. But on the other side is God, the free gift, one that I could never earn, and that free gift of relationship with God is eternal life. How do I get from this side of the cliff to the other side of the cliff? Well, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the only way, that the cross of Jesus is the only way to bridge that divide. Many of us will think, well, I can get from one side to the other simply by doing enough good things. If I'm a good enough person, you know, my sins aren't that bad. They're not as bad as that other guy. If I just say the right words, if I clean up and control my tongue enough, then I can get from one side of this chasm to the other. But the scripture says, if you've sinned even in one way, that you have separated yourself from God. What we need is Jesus Christ, who came and lived the perfect life, who never broke even a single point of the law, whose words were always right. Jesus, who was sinless, died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins, that payment that I was owed so that I could have restored relationship. Jesus crossed the bridge to get me, to bring me home, to bring you home to the Father. That is the truth. That is the reality of the gospel, that only Jesus can cross that great divide and reconcile us to the Father. It's not what you do that brings relationship with God. It's what God has already done on our behalf to bring us into eternal saving relationship with Him. Guys, it is a free gift. Let me just encourage you, if you're listening, watching this morning today, why not make today the day that you call upon the Lord and say, I recognize that on my own, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes, among other things, I cannot control my tongue. Today, I accept the free gift of Jesus' death and resurrection to pay for my sins so that I can have eternal relationship with the Father. And God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit might begin to work in my life. Change me from the inside out so that I can follow hard after Jesus. Help move me from cursing to blessing. Fifth and finally, guys, I just want to offer you this encouragement. Use your tongue, To bless rather than curse is where James takes us here at the end of this passage. Look at verses 9 through 12. It says this, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. We can bless rather than curse. James says it's awful that there's this hypocrisy of one rather than the other, but the invitation by the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news of forgiveness in Christ is that we can bless the Lord, that in Christ we can worship Him. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Lord, I want to bless your name. You know, nothing changes my heart, my attitude, and my day than when I stop and I literally worship the Lord. When I stop and I speak with him. And you know, how encouraging are people that when you hang around them, they're just thankful. And they give praise to God for what's going on in their lives. And even if they're facing a difficult circumstance or just a lousy day that they give praise and they bless the name of the Lord, people like that are incredibly encouraging when they declare their trust in God, even when things are difficult. You know, they create a wildfire, but it's a wildfire of praise. It's a wildfire of blessing and encouragement. That's my prayer for us as a church, New City. That's my prayer for each one of your your homes, your households, your family this morning, that we might spread like a wildfire of praise and encouragement. You know, not only in Christ can we worship, but in Christ we can also share the good news. The word evangelism literally means good news, the sharing of the good news. We named our our daughter Evangeline. It's that same word that in Greek means good news. And we named her that because for us, man, she was good news. She was the best news of all time that we had been gifted this child. But at the same time, we named her that because we desire that she might grow up to be a godly woman who would share that same good news of Jesus, that she would know it and that she would share it. The good news. You know, the words we speak, we can use them to speak life. We can use them to, to speak the gospel, to speak hope, to speak truth, and to speak salvation to other people. Not self-righteous Facebook rants, not bludgeoning people over the head with our theology, but sharing the good news of love in Christ. First Peter 3.15 puts it this way, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And it goes on to say, but do it with gentleness and respect. Finally, in Christ, we can build others up with encouragement. Look at Ephesians 4.29. It says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Proverbs 15 echoes that idea when it says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. Guys, it can be as simple as saying, please and thank you. Maybe that's where you begin. It can be as simple as saying, using the words, I am sorry. Please forgive me. Um, It can be as powerful as saying, I forgive you. Those things that happened in the past, I'm not going to bring them up anymore. I'm not going to hold them against you. I forgive. It could be as powerful as saying, I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. I appreciate you. I see what you're doing and it is meaningful and you are important to me. It can be as powerful as just simply being willing to actually speak the words, I love you. You are mine. I chose you. I choose you. I love you. You know, Psalm 19 verse 14 says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. This morning, let's be be reminded, home isn't canceled. Guys, family isn't canceled, but rather because of the grace of Jesus, Let's make sure that we continue to pursue gospel nearness, gospel togetherness, even when we are pushed apart in a socially distant world. Man, we thank God for his grace. Let's take a moment and let's pray to that good and loving father right now.